0: Welcome, friends and listeners, to another episode of Booth One, your podcast destination for the best in lively conversation about the arts and popular culture. I am your host, Gary Zabinski, and we have a wonderful program for you today. Uh, I should start by giving my bi-weekly update on my colleague and co-host, Roscoe. His procedure is healing nicely. There don't appear to be any unforeseen complications. Uh, His return to the booth, however, is unpredictable, as it's a gradual recuperation uh, requiring patience and stamina. As always, we send our love and good wishes for a speed. Recovery and return to the program. But the show must go on, as they say, and today is no exception. My special guest today, and you'll hear her dulcet tones in just a moment, is one of the most talented and sought after young actresses working in Chicago today. Danny Smith, that's Danny, D A N N with an I. Danny Smith is a veteran musical theater performer, including starring roles in Jesus Christ Superstar, City of Angels, and Man of La Mancha. She comes to visit us in Booth One fresh off that performance as Eldonza, uh, and currently starring in Mamma Mia at the Marriott Lincolnshire Theater right here in Chicago. Welcome to the program, Danny.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And by the way, get well, Roscoe.
0: (laughs) Excellent. Well, that's a great start. Let's give our listeners a little bit of a flavor uh, about you first off. Did you grow up in Indiana? I did. Uh, I grew up... About where?
1: A little town called Logansport, north central Indiana, about an hour or so north of Indianapolis.
0: You know, our good friend and Becky Menzie grew up in Indiana I as had well no idea. in a little town and and we chatted about growing up in little towns in Indiana. Yes, it's an experience. Did you uh, perform in in grammar school and high school? Did you get the theater bug while you were there?
1: I did. You know, my it's funny. I was a terribly shy little kid. Like I would people would talk to me and I would get really nervous and yeah. kind of cry like I didn't know how to talk to people. And one day my mom heard me singing somewhere over the rainbow downstairs. I was about 4, I think. And so that next year, she decided, I'm going to put you in the local um, junior civic theater was what it was called. And they didn't turn away any kids. So I got to be a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz in that next year. And that's when my love of theater started because it was like this safe space where I could learn how to socialize and not be so scared of people. And I had the bug and kept performing ever since then.
0: Well, that that's that's the way many of us started <laughs> in, in this crazy business we call show. I don't want to turn your head too much, but I did want to read a couple of things from a few of the notices from your shows recently. Oh, okay. The highlight of the night here, and this is a, a review of Jesus Christ Superstar that we saw that you were in. The highlight of the night here is Danny Smith, who plays Mary Magdalene and who moistened my eyes with I don't know how to love him. I concur. Our eyes were moistened. A song so familiar as to have become cliched, but Smith actually finds a pathway through the number which generally is performed merely as a repeated assertion. It's a beautiful few minutes of Chicago theater, and reason alone to see this show. Oh, my gosh. That's quite something, isn't it? Now, we were there to see you in Jesus Christ Superstar play this role, and here's the funny thing. It's at the Theo Ubequey. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm pronouncing that correctly right Yeah, the Theo Ubiquay small theater which we've talked about many times on the show and it's not quite dinner theater though you can go before the show and have a little dinner. I think previously on the show, I have recommended to our listeners that they eat first before going. (laughs) The dinner is fine. It's just nothing to really write home about. But you can also sit at these cafe tables and and get drink service. Well, we come in. We get a very nice table very near the stage. And this lovely, lovely young woman comes over to take our drink order. Couldn't be sweeter. Couldn't be nicer. Ten minutes later, she's on stage (laughs) playing Mary Magdalene. (laughs) Yep. And that was a thrill. And then at intermission... To come you back came. And serve some pie. You came back to serve pie <laughs> and to take our next drink order, and we were like, "Mary, wait what? a minute!" <laughs> I had to touch your robe just for the <laughs> the karma of it. Yeah. Um, it, it. It's a wonderful, wonderful experience to to do that. Uh, and uh, I hear Thea Ubaque is moving to a new space soon.
1: Yeah, I don't know the details, but I, I know that I believe a space was um, offered or is being supported by the city of Evanston. They're kind of revamping Howard Street. Yeah. And so I think they've had this great opportunity to move maybe into a larger space, which is so exciting for them.
0: Well, I hope they... Find a way to retain that intimacy and that sort of rubbing elbows with your neighbors at these cafe tables, and because uh, yeah. uh, it's it's a thing, uh, you, you know, it's it a is. whole it's a whole night's experience.
1: Well, you talk about it being an experience for the audience; it's an experience for the actor as well. I mean, my favorite thing—I did five shows at the Ubuquay. I can't work there anymore because I'm equity now. Yes, but, congratulations! Um, by you, the way, I've been an you. equity
0: member for Ooh. decades. <laughs> we won't talk about it, and. Uh, <laughs> Very proud of you. That's fantastic. Thank you. Um,
1: what you what you learn that is so valuable there is that you can't rely on a bag of tricks, if you will. Like the audience is so close to you; they're right there, and yeah, you can't lie. And so you learn how to strip away all of the excess and all of the extra, and look into an audience member's eyes and just connect with them. And you're also reminded that that's why we do this. You know, it's for these people that need to come and hear this story. And so you're just so connected to the room and to the work. It's magic. It's magical working there.
0: It sounds like you're going to miss it.
1: Oh, I already, anytime I go back and see a show there, I'm in buckets because it's, I don't know, it's just so special. There's nothing else like it in the city.
0: Now, you did A Man of La Mancha recently to uh, great acclaim. Uh, It was, by all accounts, a a really superb production. Mm. This is from Broadway World, and this is from Man of La Mancha. Speaking of Dulcinea... Danny Smith is a bolt of lightning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> her, her butch steampunk Aldonza Dulcinea <laughs> is all hard edges and heartbreaking vulnerability. This show has as tight an ensemble as I've ever seen on stage, but if I had to pick a standout, it would be Smith. The raw honesty of her heart-rending performance is palpable. Mm. Well, those are fantastic notices. Now, let's get back to your your younger life. You grew up in Indiana. You went to Ball State University. Yes, and yeah. And you studied music and dance, theater, Theater, Mm -hmm. acting, theater history, Mm -hmm. all of that, the whole nine yards. Yeah,
1: it was a liberal arts program, so I got to study a little bit of everything.
0: Yeah, are you familiar with famous alumni from Ball State?
1: Uh, some. You know, it's so funny because they're, we're all over the place. I feel like I'm learning about new people all the time.
0: Most famous is probably David Letterman. Mm-hmm. He talked about the university on his show often, uh, very often. Yeah. Um, also, Stedman Graham, uh, Oprah Winfrey's longtime partner oh my gosh. And boyfriend. No idea. Uh, who I ran into <laughs> once in a store. <laughs> and John Schnatter, who is the founder of Papa John's Pizza. You may have seen the Papa John's. John's commercials on TV, you Uh know, better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's, Ball Ball State State? University.
1: Well, get out of town.
0: Yeah, I just thought (laughs) I'd throw that out there. Uh, How did you enjoy uh, going to school at Ball State?
1: Oh, I loved it. You know, I'm, I'm a homebody, and so to be within a few hours of my family was really important to me. But also, I just learned so much there. And I met my lifelong friends at Ball State, so many of them here in Chicago. And we find ways to get together and work together whenever we can. It was a very special four years, and I learned a lot, and it was really invaluable. They're actually honoring me as a distinguished alumni this fall. Get
0: out of here. Yeah,
1: I was really moved. I just got a call from the department chair a few weeks ago, I want to say, and told me I was going to be honored this year, which is just so cool.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. They're not going to ask you to perform, are they? Oh,
1: I, I that hope That hasn't not. come up, has it?
0: <laughs> no. All right. We'll see. One other uh, quote I wanted to uh, throw out there from Man of La Mancha, your performance. This is from the Chicago Tribune. Blah, 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 blah. He's talking about the production and then says, which brings me to Danny Smith, who happens to be doing the best work of her Chicago career in that very role, transforming the typical musical lead role into a fierce feminist revolutionary. Smith's blunt and furious determination. That's quite the phrase, blunt and furious determination. <laughs> it's pretty accurate yeah. for, that, for that role. Yeah. Indeed, uh, which lends this character inestimable substance lives simultaneously with her rich interpretation of Lee's lush and romantic music, which is the production's most formidable weapon. Oh, mm-hmm. well, Congratulations on those. Now, Thank currently, you. you're in a production of Mamma Mia. Yes. Uh, at the same theater, right? Marriott. Uh, Marriott, Marriott Lincolnshire. Mm-hmm. How's that going for you?
1: Oh, it's going so well. You know, the audience just eats it up. You say the title yeah. Mamma Mia, and people... They lose their minds. Yeah. It's just, I have more family and extended family coming to see this show than any other show I've done in the last almost 12 years in really? Chicago. Yeah. Because it's Mamma Mia. It's a big old joy explosion on the stage. And Rachel Rockwell did a, an amazing job directing it.
0: Yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit about working with Rachel Rockwell. She has become, well, ubiquitous here in Chicago and has begun to branch herself out all over the place. In fact, she did the New York production of Ride the Cyclone Mm -hmm. recently, which I think has since closed. But she is a a force to be reckoned with and has really put her name on the map. Uh, How did you enjoy working with her?
1: Oh, it's been one of the best experiences of my career. She's... I haven't gotten to work with too many female
0: directors. Which Director and choreographer. Yeah. A real Susan Stroman type. If you will. Yeah, yeah. She's
1: she's fantastic. She leads with her heart, and she respects the actor's process, and it's wonderful working with her. You feel supported. You have so much trust, and she knows the production so well, too, because she toured it for a couple of years, and she that was her Broadway debut was in Mamma Mia, oh. and so it holds a very special place in her heart. and it was just beating with us the entire time. Um, so it was,
0: it was really special working yeah. with Rachel. N- not in, in all honesty, not the greatest musical ever written. <sighs> but there's something so infectiously fun, as you yeah. say, about it that you can't deny those ABBA songs yep. uh, really reach down and grab you. I mean, there's a reason that they were, uh, you know, globally famous yeah. for decades and still continue to be. People will go anywhere to hear an ABBA they song. They will.
1: And I, th- I think sometimes people forget that it's a jukebox musical. And we've seen so many musicals that don't have enough of a script to hold it together. And they somehow managed to weave. I mean, you have to forgive some plot points and just roll with it. But, like, it's kind of a Shakespearean comedy in that way. Right. Everything is crazy. And then all of a sudden, the end, there's happiness and everything's sunshine and rainbows. But um, they actually. (laughs) As
0: a a good musical should be, be at the end.
1: They managed to weave together this little story that may make all of the songs make sense in the show. I was in your arms Thinking I belonged there I figured it made sense Building me a fence The gods may throw the dice Their minds as cold as ice And someone takes it on the loser has to fall it's simple and it's play-
0: of weaving together i'm going to digress here a moment because i you know every once in a while we have things that come up in the uh in the news or the cultural world that uh, i want to just point out maybe you'll enjoy this story do you knit do you sew are you a crocheter any of those things I'm, like in your backstage or waiting time do you do any of that stuff
1: i am ashamed to say that i'm not i've i've wanted to be for a long time but i never take the time to learn well
0: here might be your opportunity <laughs> We talk about a specific animal on this show quite a lot because I love elephants. And we've explored them in the circus. Uh, We've talked about them outside of the circus. We've talked about them on conservation uh, land in Tennessee and in Africa. And, you know, the elephants are now retired from the circus and Mm -hmm. the Ringling Brothers is shutting down, and I think in no small measure because of the lack of elephants. Mm. But people are knitting giant sweaters, To keep rescued elephants cozy, Uh, I know it's been like in the 60s and almost 70 here in Chicago in February, but (laughs) a cold snap is underway across the hills of northern India, a home to the Wildlife SOS Elephant Conservation and Care Center, Mm -hmm. and everyone is feeling the chill. Fortunately, the sanctuary's pachyderm residents, um, each of them who was rescued from a sad life of exploitation and abuse in some way, aren't having to face the freezing temperatures unprotected. As it turns out, a group of big-hearted villagers have been knitting giant sweaters, colorful oh. giant sweaters, to keep the elephants warm. Creating custom-knit clothing for the largest land animal on Earth is no quick and easy task. No. It takes about four weeks to make... <gasps> to uh, knit
1: an elephant sweater? An <laughs>
0: elephant sweater... <laughs> Still, uh, they don't skimp on adding color and flair to the elephants' new duds. Uh, so far, only three of the sanctuary's twenty-three rescued elephants have been gifted sweaters of their own. They have these like gray blankets that they throw over them, but mm-hmm. they're not nearly as nice as these as these sweaters. If all goes well, however, the others might be sporting a similar style next year. Making sure these elephants are happy and comfortable is what that sanctuary is all about, which is what all of the elephant sanctuaries are all about, especially considering all. All the, all the hardships they've been through, yeah. uh, not just maybe being in the circus or being performers, but having been put to work yeah. uh, in the real world, uh, especially in India. It's important to keep our elephants protected from the bitter cold during the extreme winter as they are weak and vulnerable, having suffered, and this is a spokesperson for the Wildlife SOS Conservation and Care Center, uh, having suffered so much abuse, making them susceptible to ailments such as pneumonia. The cold also oh. aggravates their arthritis which is a common issue that our rescued elephants have to deal with. Mm. So, if you're interested in getting into knitting, <laughs> this could be a good first project because yeah. it's almost never ending. <laughs> Um, you you could knit and knit and knit.
1: I could spend the rest of this Mamma Mia contract anytime I'm off stage. Uh, Indeed. I don't know how
0: you get the measurements correct. (laughs) I think you just sort of guess from some of the pictures I've seen and you can go to our website and and after this episode gets posted and you'll see some pictures of of these elephants wandering around. Bagginess does not seem to be an issue. They're not not tight (laughs) European form-fitting sweaters. They are big baggy things. Also on our website, you'll find a link to the Wildlife SOS Conservation and Care Center where you can learn more about ways to help these elephants uh, and there'll be a uh, web link where you can go to donate or find a way to help support this uh, cause i was i was so pleased to read this <laughs> that article. is so cool
1: <laughs> i love that there are people out there knitting sweaters for elephants that's fantastic that's awesome. the
0: things you learn when yeah. you're out and about in the world <laughs> Let's talk about something that I've been reading about lately. You are the co founder and now on the advisory board of a new theater company called Firebrand Theater, and you're soon to launch your inaugural season. Mm -hmm. Tell us about this company and and, and what prompted you to found a venture. I mean, it's it's not easy to just say, I'm going to start another theater company in (laughs) Chicago. What is so special about Firebrand?
1: Sure. It was founded by accident. One night, my dear, dear friend Harmony France, we've been friends for years and years, met each other because we would always be called back for the same one role in that musical that we were both typed out to play. Okay, I don't know if that's irony, but later on we're forming a company because of that very reason, because we're both in for the same role. And we were having a, a late night, one of those conversations one night where you talk until five in the morning, just venting about our frustrations with the world and the women in politics and double standards and just all kinds of themes at play and certain frustrations that we had in rehearsal processes and lots of different things. And at the end of the night, we both looked at each other and said, we did not just form a theater company. We didn't. And Went was there home, was there
0: drinking involved in this uh, evening? Well, naturally. I think there was some wine. Um, <laughs> yeah, alcohol-fueled uh, founding of a, a theater company. Isn't
1: that how we all start? Absol- we have to... Absolutely. A dose of, you know, one helping of crazy and one helping of, of alcohol, and then you've got a theater company. Um, <laughs> but a, a couple of days later, we had a serious conversation about it, and we said, no, actually we're going to do this. And Firebrand was born. And the reason we founded it is because musical theater isn't necessarily the most progressive for women in particular. You're you're either the virginal ingenue or the sassy character lady or the prostitute. There are just these certain kind of archetypes for women in a lot of musicals that tend to serve the storyline of the male hero in the show. For instance, Jesus Christ Superstar, there's Mary Magdalene, and maybe a couple of women in the ensemble, and then a a lot of men playing all of the principal roles. And so just that sort of state of the world for musical theater, we were like, how about we stop complaining about it, and we get out there, and we have a laser-focused mission, which is to be the the first equity feminist musical theater company. We're committed to employing and empowering women, women on and off the stage.
0: So directors, designers, yeah. uh, uh, the entire musicians, collaborative staff, musicians, yes. right? We mm-hmm. just want
1: to create more opportunities for women. So it, we've spent the past year doing like event-based fundraising. We launched a Sung by Her concert series where we get a group of women together to sing the music of a specific artist. Our first one was Pink, so we did this coming-of-age story, a, a woman's coming-of-age story told through the music of Pink which was highly successful. It was huge. And we did a, a little gender bent concert reading of Jesus Christ Superstar um, with all women, except for Mary was played by a man, Stephen Perkins. And it, it really just flipped the whole thing on its head. It was really cool. But so in order for a show to be produced in a firebrand season, it has to pass both the Bechtel test, which means there have to be two women on stage in a scene that talk about something other than a man and then it has to pass the firebrand test and the firebrand test is there are three sections to the firebrand test one the show must have as many roles for women as for men two it must lend itself to diverse inclusive casting and three it must be empowering to women and so for us to include a show in the season it's got to pass those tests whether that be reimagining a classic to fit those standards or producing
0: a lot of new work and helping to foster and create a lot of new work, which is the thing we're most excited about. The two shows that have been announced for your inaugural season are uh, Nine to Five, the musical, mm-hmm. which couldn't be more empowering <laughs> to women, yeah. and has certainly a multitude of female roles. Yeah. But you are going to cast the m- male roles with men, yes. right? Yeah. You're not going to go some sort of like Elizabethan Shakespeare I, thing and have women play the men's roles I or don't anything think so. like
1: that. I mean, who knows if, if there's a role that you know has a male name on it that doesn't necessarily need to be a man then it could go to a woman uh-huh, but sure. yeah th- the point isn't to always take a male role and make it a woman's role it's just to provide as much opportunity for women on the stage as, as men
0: and the other show that's been announced on your season is i'm sorry, <laughs> sorry. i just <laughs> it's just i it, the the mind the mind reels about this mm-hmm. it's called lizzie And it is an original musical uh, about the the, life of Lizzie
1: Borden, the the the
0: famous axe murderer Mm -hmm. of her mother and father, Lizzie Borden.
1: Yeah, rock musical. Four women just rocking it out. Four women. Yeah, four women in the cast.
0: Do they all play a different version of Lizzie? Or no, are they, it's, is there it's one Lizzie, Lizzie? and like
1: her sisters. It, it's, it's, so it's not just Lizzie. I don't want to give too much away. No, you gotta, no, that's you a, gotta don't come give it see away. It. But yeah, it's a Chicago premiere, which is really exciting. And Victoria Bussert, who uh, directed, the I believe, the original production of Lizzie, um, who also worked in Chicago for a long time, is coming back to direct it for us, which we're really excited about. You're going to see just four... Chicks rocking it out on the stage. And an all-female band, which we're really excited about. That's a really hard thing to do, we've discovered. It's hard to nail down female musicians. Wow. (laughs) Because... There's so many...
0: Keep them around. You can do cabaret. Yeah, right? Yeah, you have to. Um, (laughs) You're doing something as a benefit for your season or Mm -hmm. or your theater company. And I I think it's just in a couple of days, a collection of women singers and Mm -hmm. uh, an all-female band and all-female designers and uh, uh, musical directors called Nothing Like a Dame. Yeah. It's about a a musical review benefit um, Mm -hmm. that you're doing. Are you going to be in that? Tell us a little bit about that. That.
1: sure it's uh you know we decided we're we're at about our one year birthday in March. It will be one year since we launched, and so we try to do these concert these event based fundraisers, and we decided how about we have our first sort of mini gala that's completely focused on our mission and about inviting people to come in and hear about what we 're going to be doing and what's important to us because we've had these themed events before that weren't solely about firebrand's mission, and so it seemed right to be like. Let's celebrate women in musical theater, female composers, female writers, great iconic female roles in the musical theater canon. And let's just put a lot of that on the stage one night and invite people to come in and invite some of the most incredible talent in this city saying yes to to come do this. just We're really blown away by it. I'm very excited.
0: Wonderful. What what will you be singing?
1: I'll be uh, singing a number I did years ago in a little show called See What I Want to See. It's a Michael John LaCusa musical. It's a song called There Will Be a Miracle, and it just feels kind of right right now, the message of it. I'll be revisiting that
0: gem of a song. This uh, broadcast will air, unfortunately, after your Mm. uh, benefits, so I can't even advise our listeners to go to the benefit, uh, which I also understand is virtually sold out. There's only a handful of seats left anyway, so congratulations on that. That's a a wonderful thing. Uh, I wanted to touch upon another uh, theatrical event that uh, we experienced, uh, our producer and myself went to, so bear with me for a moment. We went to the Goodman Theater to see their current production of Uncle Vanya, Are you a Chekhov fan?
1: I am yeah, he's all right. He's kind of all
0: right, that Chekhov He's, You know, I think <laughs> I think he's going to go places. <laughs> I, I think he's got some legs. Well, we saw a wonderful production of Uncle Vanya starring a terrific Tim Hopper, friend of the show, and my personal friend Larry Newman Jr. is in it. Caroline Neff is in it. Um, Marilyn Dodds-Frank is in it. And they're all just superb. This is one of the great ensemble pieces that I... I've seen in in years. It's a new adaptation by Annie Baker, and I think it finds aspects of comedy heretofore unexplored in Mm. this play. It's a laugh-fest riot from beginning to end. (laughs) Maybe not to the end. The the end is really, really, really dark. Mm. All of the performers do a wonderful, wonderful job. A brilliant set there's no curtain because it's in the smaller theater at the Goodman uh, the Owen where it's not really a proscenium uh, stage Mm -hmm. Uh, so when you walk in you see this enormous set this room that the whole thing takes place in so you're already a little bit awe inspired Uh, gorgeous lighting great costume design superbly directed by uh, Robert Falls with pace and clarity and a sense of the universality of the themes we just loved it now they've already extended Ended it. it's running through march 19th um i believe so if you get a chance danny or um yeah. and you have a day off somewhere along the line like it's really good it is two hours and 45 minutes but you know what it's checkoff. Mm-hmm. i just wanted to be sure that uh, i got a shout out about this show um, because uh, i don't often like something quite as much as i liked this speaking of shows danny wh- what are your favorite musicals. What? what oh my goodness. What's What's a favorite show of yours? And more importantly, what, what roles would you like to play? Hmm. What uh, has been something of a dream role for you that you haven't quite gotten to yet? Well, it's, I've had the great pleasure of working on so many shows
1: that are my favorite shows now. I got to do Passion years ago and play the role of Fosca, which is just really a really, really interesting and kind of life-changing experience to I'll explore say. that. Speaking character. of dark shows. Yeah. Wow. And the wild party, but Man of La Mancha is probably my all-time favorite musical. I love the the themes and I was so grateful to be a part of that production and telling it in that way. The story of never giving up on yourself and holding on to the dream and that we can all be more than what we give ourselves credit for. I just love that that theme. As far as dream roles go I actually have one in a new musical the I don't know if you've had the pleasure of seeing waitress the musical out in New York starring Jesse Mueller
0: did not see it uh, oh. Jesse Mueller is leaving the show yeah um, and the, is uh, gonna... her the the writer of the show is yeah. going into that part for some part of the summer anyway yeah, yeah I read that
1: it's wonderful and um, so a new dream role of mine is to play Jenna in Waitress before I'm Ah, too old to do it. ah, Yeah.
0: Is that something that might fit in in a future season of Firebrand? Does that fit in the, does that pass the litmus test? Oh, absolutely.
1: It's definitely on
0: the the list years
1: from now when when the rights are finally when released the to the rest ava- of the world. Yes, when the um, rights
0: are available and everybody else has done it, um it might fall down to you guys yeah. at some point. Or maybe you'll just jump in and say, We wanna hey, come do it on, and they'll go, Yeah, why not? We like your mission, yeah. uh, we like what you stand for, we like what you do and how you do it. Sure, here's the rights yeah. you can do it. That'd be great.
1: But it's such a it's such a lush score and the story is wonderful and yeah, I, that's, that's definitely a bucket list
0: role. Who inspires your work and your oh. life? Uh, do you have uh, an inspiration, either famous or mm. not famous, uh, a professor or a fellow students or something?
1: So many people. I, I find inspiration everywhere in this community. Some of my dearest friends are my biggest inspirations. My, my Harmony my co- co-founder, artistic director of Firebrand. She brings so much heart and passion to what she does. Brenda, Brenda Didier, who directed The Wild Party that I did, um, she's such a compassionate leader. Um, she inspires me if I ever want to direct someday, which is on my list. That's who I want to be as a director. As far as famous people go, I mean, who doesn't want to be Meryl Streep good, <laughs> Violet Davis good, like yes. just... Sure. Just inspiration all around. I have, as far as life inspiration, my my little niece, (laughs) who it's hard to believe is going to be graduating from nursing school here very soon, she has known what she wanted since she was five. She has wanted to be a nurse since she was an itty-bitty little thing, and she went for it. And she overcame a lot of obstacles in her life in order to do so. And she tells me that I'm her hero all the time, and I'm looking right back at her going, "Girl." (laughs) <laughs> I, you inspire me so much. She's one of my heroes. So it's it's all around. It's inspirations all
0: around. You've come on a good day, by the way. Uh, I'm going to introduce a new segment to our show. Uh, this is apropos of almost nothing. Have you ever been in follies? No. Would you like to be in Follies? Sure. You could do some wonderful stuff (laughs) with Follies. Uh, I can see you in multiple, multiple roles. Uh, uh, This new segment uh, I've titled Good Times and Bum Times. Okay. This is about a couple of stories, one that has kind of a uh, good time feel to it, and one that has kind of a bad time feel to it. Uh, Let's do the good time feel one first. Good time for search parties after the Wales Coast Guard, Wales as in Wales uh, in the British Isles there, found a man believed to be lost at sea, safely drinking in a local pub.
1: That sounds about right. Uh, the
0: man had last been seen <laughs> cut off by the rising tide while walking on an estuary. But then he turned up at a nearby uh, <laughs> ship aground pub, <laughs> the ship aground pub, uh, where he uh, said of himself, he rescued himself mm. in the pub. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the, the Bad Times story is, uh, well, it's about ride sharing. This is after a French businessman sued the ride-sharing company Uber for forty-eight million dollars. That seems like a lot wow. of money, but I guess if you're going to sue, you might as well go big or go, go home. Go big or go home. Uh, claiming that a glitch in the ride-sharing app's software gave his wife notifications of his comings and goings, leading to allegations oh. of infidelity, and finally a nasty divorce. Oh my God! That's a bad day. <laughs> That I, a bad day. I, I don't think he has a chance in hell of getting say, $48 million out of Uber. I got a bad feeling about Uber. that one. <laughs> I got a bad feeling about that, too. Now, you are a winner of four Jeff Awards. Uh, you, you know you can't be on this show unless you've at least won a Jeff Award. Oh. You have to be, have won a Jeff or a Grammy or an Oscar. Something. Or something something yeah. like that, yes. You're starring in a film, by the way, that I saw on your website oh. called Curtain. Mm-hmm. Curtain. Uh, it's a 2015 film. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that movie. Oh, wow. It falls under the genre of
1: horror, I think, but it's really more of a Twilight Zone-esque psychological thriller. And it's, it was originally titled Curtain and released under the name Curtain in the UK. Um, but in the U.S. it's called The Gateway. And I think it's available on Amazon and maybe even Netflix. I'm not sure. There was U.S. distribution through kind of a lot of the video-on-demand channels. Yeah. But it sounds crazy on paper. But it's uh, essentially the story of this woman, this sort of washed out nurse that's been through a lot and decides to move into this studio apartment in New York and very quickly learns that there is a demonic portal in her bathroom wall that is creating this crazy situation. And her shower curtains go missing anytime she puts one up. And chaos ensues in in this journey to figure out where these curtains are going and what's going on. And you meet a lot of crazy characters along the way, and it's a pretty wild film. But if you're up for watching something really weird and kind of darkly funny... Commit your seventy-three minutes to the film "The Gateway" <laughs> oh, and yeah. you know check it out. I
0: watched a little uh, clip uh, on your <laughs> website, and by the way, if you want to learn more about Danny Smith, uh, her website is www danny smith. That's L E I G H Smith. Dot com And don't forget Danny with an I, D-A-N-N-I. I watched a little bit on your website and there's one shot of you about to pull back a shower curtain <laughs> and it's very psycho-like. Mm-hmm. Very psycho-like. He drew a
1: lot of inspiration from the great, the great horror films of the past, yeah.
0: I have to clear something up that uh, came about in our last episode. Uh, we had Paul Strolley on the show, and we were talking about Glenn Close starring currently now in the revival of Sunset Boulevard, mm-hmm. and she got amazing reviews. And uh, we were opining as to whether she might be in line for another Tony Award. Mm. Now, she won the Tony Award for this very same role in a different production 22 years ago. And I have to thank my good friend, Robbie Young, who's been a loyal listener since episode one of uh, Booth One. And uh, he uh, called to remind me that you cannot win a Tony Award for the same role, no matter if it's in different productions, even if it's 50 years apart.
1: I didn't realize that. Uh,
0: yes. However, uh, we were talking about Ewell Brinner, uh, the longtime great uh, performer and The King in The King mm-hmm. and I. Uh, and he got a Tony Award in 1985 uh, when he was doing a revival of The King and I. However, it was a special Tony It was not an award for doing that role. And so he's really the only person who's won two Tony Awards based on the same role. But they they bent the rules a little bit. So (laughs) but it wouldn't surprise me if they found a way around it for Glenn Close, because apparently this performance is is really, really quite something. I also wanted to do a follow up on a story we did last week uh, about one of our favorite critics, uh, Charles Isherwood, who's the second string theater critic for the New York Times or or was the second string theater critic. He was unceremoniously dismissed. It's been discovered now from his job at, at what is unquestionably one of the country's great jobs. Apparently there was indeed bad blood for years between Ben Brantley, who was the major critic, and Charles Isherwood. Uh, Boris Kotchka of the entertainment online news source The Vulture surmises that um in that general context, it's uh, it makes you wonder if Isherwood's firing was an easy way to get rid of someone who was making far above Newspaper Guild minimum. Again, this is uh, of the uh, opinion of Boris Kochka of The Vulture. Uh, without having to pay a pension or severance, apparently, Charles Isherwood, again, this is a follow-up to last week's story, he has now gone into arbitration against the Times for dismissal. There's uh, lots of details that are yet to be explained. The paper might also welcome the opportunity to hire a theater critic who's younger. Apparently, they looked through his emails and they found some they didn't like. The details of it are are strange. It's uh, it's possible that he was communicating with producers Uh. or publicists in a way that they didn't care for. But... That doesn't seem to be real grounds for this kind of dismissal. Uh, They posted an ad, which we read a little bit about, um, on their website for the new theater critic. And the ad for this position asked for candidates who'd work well with editors, interact with readers, and explore quote-unquote new story forms. I'm not exactly sure what that means. But it also included the line, while a background writing for theater is a plus, it is not a prerequisite. And that doesn't sound like a job for an old school theater critic or one quite so intimately familiar with the players in the industry as Charles Isherwood was. We like Charles Isherwood um, a lot and he's known as a good friend of regional theater and he reviews things in Chicago quite often. He was a huge fan of Ride the Cyclone, for instance. Mm -hmm. This story is not yet over, so stay tuned for more. We like to do something with our guests at times and play a little parlor-type game mm. uh, called Chat Pack. Would you be up to that? Yeah. Your game for that? Yeah. Uh, I have these cards, and there are questions on them or you know things to talk about. I have not looked at these. Uh, these were chosen at random. So why don't you choose one? Okay. Got it. And read that out loud for us.
1: If you had a great voice and had the opportunity to record a duet with any singer living today, whom would you choose as your partner for the recording?
0: We we can disregard that first uh, statement if you had a great voice because you do have a great voice. <laughs> well, thank you so much. So let's much. just concentrate on the part that says, who would you like to record a duet with? Mm-hmm. And by the way, this answer is your answer today. It doesn't yeah. have to be your answer forever.
1: I... Honestly, who's in my heart and soul right now is Bonnie Raitt. She's just magic. So that's probably who I would say right now in this moment It's Bonnie Raitt.
0: Wow. We've spoken about Bonnie Raitt on this show a number of times. Are Absolutely. kidding me? Yeah, no, absolutely. A, a daughter of, of the famous John Raitt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that's a great answer.
1: Oh, she's wonderful. If, if it were a trio, I would say she and Mavis Staples, because that's just like, wow. that would be... Wow. It would just be me not singing. It would just be me watching the two of them in complete and utter
0: awe. Yeah. <laughs> I've answered this question in the past, and my answer was Stevie Nicks. Oh, yeah. And I think I just have to stay with that. It's not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> However, the next time we ask, my answer could be you. Hey, let's make it happen. Well, <laughs> I'm, not sure, I'm not sure my uh, aging pipes are ready for a duet with you. Uh, would you like to play another one? Yeah, let's do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. What was your
1: favorite thing to pretend when you were a young child? Oh, gosh. Hmm. I played so many things as a kid. Well, I had the great luxury and privilege of have, having a swimming pool when I was a kid. And my dad would judge our dives for us. like, And he would never give us higher than like a seven, which at the time I thought was cruel. But then I realized as I got older, like, oh, that really was seven was like a 10 for dad. You know, he just wanted to keep you humble. So I think one of the things I really liked to pretend that was that I was like this Olympic diver, even though I was just straight up. Jumping into the into the <laughs> pool off of the diving board, but I thought I was I thought I was made of great diving potential. <laughs> also, just rolling down the hill—that's that, not necessarily pretend. We went back to visit my childhood like home, uh, uh,
0: uh, like sideways just on your side, lay
1: down on the ground and roll, roll. down the hill. My sister and I used to just do that on repeat. You know, when we played, and I remember going back to my childhood home and looking at that hill and going, "That is so much smaller than it seemed when I was a kid." We thought we were just rolling down this huge thing.
0: Hills appear to be Everest when you're a child <laughs> yeah. and then when you grow up they're just they're just molehills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. If you were to choose or have chosen uh, something else other than mm. a career or a life in the theater, what else would you have liked to have done? And you're you're a young lady, and so it doesn't mean that there's not time for a second career yeah. or even the opportunity. What else would you like to do if you weren't doing a theater?
1: I've actually been considering taking a trip to India. You brought up the elephants in India, which I thought was really cool because I, I've been wanting to go there and do like an immersive yoga experience. And I think something that one day maybe in my life that I would like to do is have some kind of a wellness center. I'm learning because my life is so busy and there's so much noise in it, how precious it is to take moments to be calm and still and quiet. And I would like to create a safe space for people to have that moment to come and breathe and sit with yourself and kind of regenerate. (laughs) So wellness and mental wellness is really important to me. And that would be my way of wanting to do it is teaching yoga and meditation and just, yeah. Yeah kind of a calming spiritual Uh practice.
0: Are are you a yoga practitioner? Do you do it regularly?
1: I am. I'm not as regular as I used to be. I'm hoping to, you know, I just need to make more time in my life for it. But I was a big fan of hot yoga for a very long time, and I was going multiple times a week. And it's so healing. It's just... I always feel better when I leave than when I got there.
0: Remind me and our listeners what hot yoga is. Oh. Is it is exactly what it says? It's
1: exactly what it says. Uh, you do yoga in a room that's, depending on which, which hot yoga you're going to, it could be 105 degrees in the room or it could be over 80. So the whole point is to kind of get the blood flowing and break up all that junk that kind of gets
0: stuck in your joints. But it's a dry heat.
1: It's a, um, <laughs> I don't know about dry. Or, or is it a
0: humid it, heat? It
1: gets pretty humid. It gets pretty with all those
0: bodies Mm -hmm. uh, working. Yep. Wow. I'm not sure I could bear that.
1: You don't think you can, but after I would say after like the third class, you realize you're not going to die and that you can breathe. In fact, and you let go, and it's a really incredible experience. It may not be for everybody. I've Met a lot of people along the way that are like, "Nope, not for me." Tried it multiple times, can't do it. Do you, I love it.
0: Do you have to like power wash your yoga mat afterwards? Because yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of perspiration yep. going on.
1: You got to keep it all all clean.
0: Let's do one more chat pack question. What is your biggest pet peeve?
1: Oh my goodness! Oh, and it
0: could be the name of someone. No, <laughs>
1: never. I guess just disrespect. I don't know, people not respecting other, other people and their time and like a lack of empathy is really a huge pet peeve of mine. Giving people the benefit of the doubt is really important and remembering that you haven't walked in another person's shoes. Well, lack of empathy and also chewing with your mouth open. That's if you want, <laughs> if you want a straight up answer there too. <laughs> keep it locked. Keep, <laughs> keep the mouth closed.
0: <laughs> I wanted to touch on this real quickly. You spent part of a day with our friend Joe Mazza. Yeah. Taking photographs. Oh, uh, yeah. Joe Mazza is a photographer here in town. In addition to the regular things that a professional photographer would do weddings and private events and special events and things he is a marvelous portrait photographer mm-hmm. and he does a lot of work for theater companies here in Chicago doing their campaigns and their uh, show shots. Yeah. He also does a lot of headshot work for actors and uh, other kinds of performers or business people, mm-hmm. um, artistic directors, anyone who needs a good professional shot of them. He's so creative mm-hmm. and so interesting. Uh, I had a session with him yeah. oh, last summer, mm-hmm. and I just had the most marvelous time yeah. that was set up by our producer. Uh, how was your experience with oh, Joe? It was incredible. If you want to feel like a rock
1: star, go get headshots with Joe Maza because or portraits. I did a headshot and portrait session, and I actually booked with him because... My first experience with him was we did a photo shoot for the Wild Party with Bailiwick Chicago, which just required a lot of trust and a lot of fun uh, to do that shoot. And he created this really fun room, and you immediately loosened up because you knew this guy was in your corner, and he was taking good care of you. And so I felt like a rock star. I had just gotten my hair chopped off, and I knew I wanted new shots, and he was just so excited to help capture that. Moment for me, he makes he makes you you
0: feel like you're the most important thing. Yeah, not only in the room, but the most important subject he's ever photographed. Exactly, doesn't he? He does. And and did he? Did he shout things like "Yes, yes, 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 Yes. (laughs) Yes. love it, love it"? Yes, he did. Stop. That's perfect. Don't move. Oh yeah, he's amazing. I've seen some of the shots of you. In fact, I have a couple here that I'm looking (laughs) at, and they're just. Wonderful. Are you pleased with the way they turned out? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great shot. I know. I love that one. Yeah.
1: Messy bangs. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just all in the eyes.
0: Well, you're probably going to need these photographs as your career uh, advances and uh, you become even more popular and uh, sought after, not only here in Chicago, but hopefully uh, around the country. We uh, generally like to end our podcasts with a segment we call The Kiss of Death. Now, this has nothing to do with you particularly. (laughs) Uh, It is really just a look and a celebration and a tribute to someone who has recently passed. Mm. I wanted to uh, touch on a uh, person who passed away this past week, and and I I hope you'll be interested in this, Danny. Richard Schickel. Are you familiar with Richard? I'm not. Richard was uh, captivated by Walt Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarves when he was five years old. And so he grew up to be a noted film critic, Hollywood historian, and prolific author and documentarian. At one point, he estimated that he had watched approximately 22,590 movies. Wow. That's a very specific number. I'm not sure if he had a counter going (laughs) or if he opened a big book of movies of all time and counted them all, but... That's a lot of movies. I used to love reading his criticism, and uh, I use that word in the most polite possible way. He, he was a very thoughtful and eloquent critic about a film, and uh, i'll i'll read a little bit more a bit later uh, about his philosophy but in, in a career that uh, spanned the star-studded studio era and the rise of independent directors he also wrote uh, 37 books on movies and filmmakers and and wrote or directed more than 30 documentaries mostly for television he shared three emmy nominations for life goes to the movies in 1976 and for something called Manelli on Manelli Liza Remembers Vincent, which he made in 1987. I've never seen that film, but this has prompted me to try to find it if it's available. Uh, He frequently pulled no punches. He was that kind of reviewer Mm. of of films. He even dismissed The Maltese Falcon once, John Huston's 1941 film classic starring Humphrey Bogart and Mary Astor, as cramped and static. (laughs) <laughs> Didn't mean he was always right, but he always, told, uh, he always told the truth as he saw it and was damning in a retrospective look at Gone with the Wind in 1973. Uh, much to Roscoe's consternation, oh. I've never been a Gone with the Wind fan, <laughs> and he just can't seem to understand why that is. Mr. Schickel wrote that two measures of a movie's quality should be how much a viewer retains and how much one wants to see it again. Hmm. I I think those are two good qualities. I remember Hmm. several movies that I thought, I just want to watch this movie again. One movie was Breaking Away. Do you remember the movie Breaking Away about the bicycle uh, racers at the uh, University of Indiana? Well, you're from Indiana. Oh, Breaking Away is a wonderful movie. It's a a coming-of-age film, and this is all about growing up in Bloomington, Indiana Hmm. and what it takes to be a townie, which he is. He's Mm -hmm. born there. His father worked there and raised him, but he's not a university guy. At some point, they grow up and realize that there is more to life than just being angry.
1: I guess is really what that's all about.
0: By both of those measures of how much a viewer retains and how much one wants to see it, he loved movies like Citizen Kane, Double Indemnity, The Godfather, The Searchers, Chinatown, Fargo, Meet Me in St. Louis, Yankee Doodle Dandy, Pinocchio, and the original King Kong, as well as other outlier movies like Audie Murphy's Western No Name on the Bullet. That's a great (laughs) name for a film. And Francois Truffaut's The 400 Blows, Mr. Schickel... He did not view film going as an experience frozen in memory. I think this capsulizes great criticism in a in a really tight nutshell. Criticism and its humble cousin reviewing, mm. not the same, mm. is not a democratic activity. It is or should be an elite enterprise, ideally undertaken by individuals who bring something to the party beyond their hasty, instinctive opinions of a book or any other cultural object. It is work that requires disciplined taste, mm-hmm. historical and theoretical knowledge, and a fairly deep sense of the author's or filmmaker's or painter's entire body of work, among other qualities. Mm-hmm. Now, there are very few great critics. Mm. There have been many in the past, but I think that that really says what a great critic should be doing. Yeah, This also lends itself to say that there should be a sense of, as you say, respect Mm. and and kindness and responsibility. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's really saying that criticism in its finest, purest form is a professional, Aspiration and Mm -hmm. should not be undertaken lightly or by amateurs. Uh, Agreed. And, and I and I like that sentiment. Uh, he was born uh, in uh, 1933 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and he saw Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator when he was eight, prompting his uh, love of movies. Some of his books include biographies of Woody Allen, Marlon Brando, James Cagney, Charlie Chaplin, Gary Cooper, Clint Eastwood, Lena Horne, and Elia Kazan. Well, where, where do people find the time? <laughs> well, I, I I can barely find the time to put this podcast together every two weeks, and here these guys are writing you know 33 books about Mm -hmm. movie stars he also went on to say once the truth very simply is that most movies are lousy Uh. or at best routine he wrote that in his book keepers the greatest films and personal favorites of a movie going lifetime Uh, we go to see them he said much of the time in search of something else the comforting darkness of the theater, the play of light and shadow on the screen, the consolations they offer for some temporary trouble. A lot of the time, we don't give a hoot what's playing. We are at a public event for private reasons, which we don't always recognize until later, if at all. It is the occasion, the atmosphere that we crave. I've often read Or heard people say things like that about going to the movies. Mm -hmm. There's something about sitting in that dark movie theater with other people. Mm -hmm. I will frequently go to a movie in the middle of a weekday afternoon if I have some time. And sometimes I'm the only person Mm -hmm. there. And it's not quite the same experience. Mm -hmm. went to see Moonlight a couple of weeks Uh ago. And I got about the last seat there was available in the yeah. in the theater. And I didn't get there all that late either. But it was magical to be in that room with all of those people. You can feel the reactions, mm-hmm. even if you can't hear them all the time. I, I feel the same way about theater. Yeah. Uh, although you're not watching flickering images on a screen. And there's very little time during a theater performance, a good theater performance, to stop and consider you you, you right. really want to be involved, much like this Uncle Vanya that we saw the other day. I never, for a moment, wanted to look around and go, well, gosh, this theater's in pretty good shape, or, <laughs> wow, nice crowd tonight. I was so engaged in the uh, performance a- and the fact that I was there in a room with a bunch of other people, all engaged at the same time. Yeah. You feel that way about theater as well as, as uh, going to the movies, don't you?
1: Oh, absolutely. The wonderful thing about live theater, too, is that it's a living, breathing thing. It changes with the audience, with all of those people in the room, bringing all of that energy. Yeah, it's, it's a really special thing to experience all of that together.
0: In the theater, you'll never see the same thing again.
1: No, they just little subtle changes, just things live and breathe. Because it's living, breathing humans on stage and Indeed. in the audience.
0: Yeah. Well, you are a living, breathing marvel, uh-huh. and vivacious, and entertaining, and captivating, and talented. I am so, so pleased to have had you on our show today. I hope you had a good time. I had
1: a wonderful time. Thank you so much. And I
0: know you have a show tonight, and so you're uh, you're saving your voice every day, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so I appreciate you coming out today to uh, chat with us. Uh, it was really, really fun. Um, Like us on Facebook, everyone. Follow us on Twitter. You can email me at gary at booth-1.com. I'd love to hear your questions, your feedback, your comments. For Booth One, this is uh, Gary Zabinski and my guest, Danny Smith. Hey, bye. Saying uh, keep listening and so long until next time.